Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Backstage With, conversations with your favourite theatre actors and creatives. It feels like a while since I've said that. Hello, welcome to Series 6. Goodness. Although I suppose if you're listening to this on Spotify, welcome to the first episode after a little break. Uh, A break that's been longer than I was expecting, but then I think the break for theatre has been longer than any of us thought it would be. Uh, So here we are in July. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Hello, I'm Mikey. Thank you very much for downloading this. If you're not new, then hello again. We are still doing these on Zoom for now, but I'm hopeful that by the end of this run of episodes, we will maybe just maybe be able to go and have a chat with someone in an actual theatre which feels like a really weird thing to say but it's something I haven't actually done since February 2020 but there we are. Anyway uh, today's guest is Kai Ushay who is going to be playing Simba in The Lion King when it reopens in the West End on the 29th of July. I got a press release Uh, and I looked this up earlier, on the 12th of March 2020, announcing that Kai was going to be playing Simba in The Lion King. Four days later, the West End closed, and theatres across the country all closed. And it's funny, I can't remember what happened exactly, but I know that that news was kind of retracted before any of it was kind of made public. But here we are, over a year later, and Kai is finally going to get to play that part. Before we go to the interview, let me just give you a quick rundown of his CV. He is best known for playing Lola in the UK tour of Kinky Boots, Marvin Gaye in Motown the Musical, and he was in the original London cast of The Book of Mormon, to name a few of his credits. But also, last summer, um, I saw him in A Little Night Music, which was a a one-night-only thing at Holland Park Opera. And if you know about it, you know what happened with the weather. In true British style, there was a downpour uh, that started midway through Act 1, and then we thought it was going to be okay, and then for probably the last half an hour of Act 2, it just rained solidly. It was biblical. I thought I might get pneumonia, uh, but thankfully I didn't. But also, it was one of those things where... It's awful at the time and you're walking to the to the tube afterwards thinking, oh my God, I've never been so wet in my life. But then actually you look back and you go, oh, aren't that nice? Isn't that really nice? Anyway, here is my conversation with Kai Ushay. I know everyone's really bored of talking about the pandemic, but just quickly tell me how the last year and a half has been for you. Um, oh God. Okay. So yeah, it's been, um, it's obviously had its ups and downs. Um, like with everyone, we've all been, you know, kept inside, allowed to come back outside for a bit and then, you know, shoveled back inside again. Um, I've spent it mostly doing voiceover work. Um, and predominantly, you know, just trying to stay fit and healthy so that when the shows come back, we're all ready to get back on stage. Cool. Yeah. And am I right in thinking you you but you had been cast in The Lion King just before lockdown happened and it was just about to be announced and then they reeled it back in? 
<laughs> yeah. So um, just as on March 23rd, uh, 2020, um, the UK government decided to lock down to, you know, save lives and protect everyone. Um, and that was also coincidentally my first day of rehearsals that I was meant to start. Oh, um, no. So so as soon as everything came to a close, um, you know, we spoke um myself and uh, a lot of the team and we just came to the conclusion that it wasn't the right time you know this there's, there's there was so much happening um and so many shifting plates that um you know we were like let's let's you know hold off on on announcing something like this um and i just had this feeling like something was going to prevent it from starting and i don't like I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, super spiritual or some sort of, you know, precog. Um, but I just had this feeling in my chest. I was just like, okay, just, um, for the sake of yourself and for the sake of, you know, um, well, basically self-preservation, um, hold off on getting too excited about this one. Cause this one means, it means so much to me, um, this show. Um, but as everything was sort of, um, you know, culminated with that lockdown on March the 23rd. Um, I, I had subconsciously prepared myself to just, you know, things are going to be what they're going to be. And initially we thought it was going to be two weeks. Right. <laughs> so I was like, maybe this will be two weeks and then we'll see. And then it was, you know, a few months and now it's been a year and a bit. So, um, I think we've just had like, you know, cause so much happened, so many different levels of like it being locked down, but certain things are allowed to continue when we officially went into lockdown, that whole, period in time became a bit of a, a, a bit of a blur, a bit of a mesh. Mm. Um, so yeah, you yeah. know, I, I remember at the time thinking quite fondly, I don't know what day it is. And I think I'm happy with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like we, as a nation, we just have whiplash from being constantly like, oh, we're going to be okay. Oh no, we're not. Oh no, we're going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm really bored of that now. Um, you said <laughs> The Lion King, th this show means a lot to you. So mm. Simba, was that a part that you've been looking out for? How did it come into to your life? How did it come onto your radar that this was the time? So, um, so casting back years and years and years and years and years ago, um, I'd graduated from my university in 2009 and I'd come out thinking, you know, I want to go to drama school or I, I really, I just want to be in the industry. Um, and so I'd, I'd send off my applications to drama school, but I'd taken myself to open auditions just so I could prep myself, you know, depending on where I, you know, basically I wanted to find out what my weakest prong was before I went off to drama school. Um, and I found myself, um, you know, uh, meeting, I met a friend, Scarlett Douglas, who, um, you know, she turned around in one of the open auditions and she gave me her agent's email because she was like, you don't have an agent. Um, here's my agent's email. We'll get in touch, etc." cetera. Um, and so I get, you know, signed with them and they were like, cool, we'll get you seen for this, 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 this and this. And I think the third audition that I had was for The Lion King. And I was like, oh, my God. Um, you know, this is it's so quick that this has happened. This is now in front of me and this show has been you know i think by then it'd been playing about 10 years already um and i was like you know just blown away by the fact that i had this material they i think they sent me simba banzai um no simba and banzai material for me to learn for the show um and i you know had you know a, a few rounds etc did a few material um, um workshops a few dance workshops um and then I didn't get the part. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, cool. You know, at this point we'll, we'll walk away from it and we'll see, you know, what, what will be, will be sort of thing. Um, a few years later, auditioned for it again. And each time I auditioned, you know, the, the song Endless Night that you audition with when you audition for Simba, mm -hmm. um, 
there's something about it that you know it, it deals with um issues of loss it deals with um you know issues of um of your you know parent the, the, the relationship you share with your parents etc um so i just you know every time i've um auditioned for the show it's you know been a, a, an interesting sort of cathartic process for me because i've you know had to in order to resonate with something like that, you need to find something within yourself and relate it to something within yourself in order to portray that feeling that Simba has. Um, and I'm saying all of this before I've even gone into rehearsals and started the show, you know, so it's it's been a long time coming. And I feel like, you know, this time around, the stars have aligned, you know, because I had to pull out of auditions one year. I think maybe it was like 2014 because I was off to do a different job um but this time this it feels like the stars have aligned and you know I am exactly where I need to be um you know pandemic or no pandemic <laughs> of course so yeah. when it when you this time around when you got the part have you actually been into the Lyceum yet have you walked through that stage door and gone this is this is happening or is that moment still to happen um so i've so as we were um gearing up to start the first time um i'd gone in for a few costume measurements and fittings and um a head pull which is when they do the um the cast on your head for the mask that sits on top oh cool um so gone yeah gone through the stage door been around the theater had a moment on stage as well just looking around i was just like genuinely a part of me was you know i'm i'm a working actor now <laughs> um so i you know part of me was like cool absolutely professional and then the little kid in me who graduated years and years ago was like i can't believe this is happening because <laughs> mm-hmm. that is that is not a small theater is it i remember the first time i i went in to see that show and and, you know, we walk past the Lyceum all the time. But when you go in and actually look at the auditorium, it's massive. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. I can't remember how many seats it is. You probably have that in your notes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a big old, it's a big old theatre and really ornate as well. Like a gorgeous, gorgeous theatre. Um, so, to, yeah, to have that detail in the auditorium, then you have all the detail in the show. It's a really good um, coupling, I think. Do you remember the first time you saw the show? Um, I th- yes. Yes, I do. Um, it was when I was auditioning the first time round. I realized I'd seen the film, but I'd never been to see the show. So I took myself and a friend of mine at the time to go and see it. And watching, huh, being sat in the stalls and watching Circle of Life happen all around you, you know, with the, the Rafiki on stage who sings out the iconic, you know, Nancy Gonyama. And then you've got the animals appearing in different places with this call and response to wake up the pride lands I, it just set me into like a full body goosebump moment um it yeah it was incredible i was i, I i'm not really a crier but I, but I tend to show my emotion through like goosebumps and i had so many moments where i was just covered it's such a beautiful show and and when simba swung in on that rope that very first time <laughs> what what was going through your head then did did you kind of have an instant feeling Oh, that could be me one day, or or did that come to you later? You know, it's it's a it's a it's a weird one. I I, I watched because obviously I think at the time because I was auditioning, I actually had forgotten while I was watching the show because the show is so beautiful and there, it's so multi layered. You get so swept up in um, 
the magic of it all um, with the puppets, with the actors' performances, with the, the dancers, with everything, that I, I genuinely forgot that I was meant to be watching a singular track to like go, okay, cool. This is really interesting. Can I do this? Will I do this? Um, I, I got really swept up in the emotion of it all and how human these, you know, they're, they're obviously they are lions in front of you, but, um, and all of these other animals, but this human emotion that was portrayed on stage, I just, I got swept up in the storytelling. Um, and I think afterwards, it was only after the show when I went, I, at some point in my life, have to do this. Brilliant. Over the summer, other things came your way, I'm guessing, you know, there were little bits here and there um, for, for lots of people and, and some people managed to get back on stage. Uh, a little night music at Holland Park was a very wet <laughs> evening, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that really was. It was, we, we'd been praying all day and actually we had a tech earlier during the day um, where we, where the, the, the heavens didn't open and we were like, cool, it's held off, wonderful. And then I, I remember halfway through, not even halfway through actually, maybe it was halfway through the first act. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, where the heavens just absolutely tore open and came thundering down. And, you know, credit to all of my fellow performers um, during that um, production. Like they just, they cracked on, they, they used it, they enjoyed it. And it became so much, the, the rain was almost its own character by the end of the show because it became such an, an iconic moment for me. Um, you know, looking, there was a moment where Laura Pitt Polford, when she was um, singing, remind me of the song that the just escaped me. Thank you so much. Um, the Miller's son. And she just, she took her hand out and played with the rain as it was going past. Janie D as well, swinging through it with this beautiful red ball gown. I, I've just got goosebumps. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful show. To, and I can't imagine what it must have been, out from, been like from out front, but from where I was sat, it was, it was amazing. It was incredible. Yeah. And I remember, I think there was that feeling of that ambivalence, but also that anticipation of we all felt the rain coming and we we're all sitting there holding our breath, just kind of looking up every now and again, thinking, oh God. Um, and then when it did finally come in the middle of Act One, it was, and then it, and then it kind of eased off a bit and we were all like, okay, maybe, maybe that's as bad as it's going to get how wrong we were. Um, and also like props to you know what it's, it's a true testament to um the britishness of that whole moment that everybody sat there and were like nope we we are, we are watching we are supporting theater we are here the resilience of the audience and the resilience of performers um you know what just sort of across this entire period has really resonated with me i've just really been um you know in awe of the strength displayed and the um what's the the dedication to the craft and to to supporting people it's yeah it's been wonderful to to, to behold and i think we'd all been we'd, i mean we'd been starved of theater for about five months at that point so i mean i was gonna sit if it had thunder and if there had been thunder and lightning i would have sat there i'd have sat there through a tornado <laughs> i'll be honest um and and you know you mentioned the laura pitt pulford moment and i think that was when it was just starting to get really really bad and she's swinging around this marquee heavily pregnant and this amazing yeah. green dress and i was just like this is incredible yeah, yeah. <laughs> and actually i genuinely think that will probably stay in my memory as one of my favorite theatrical experiences of my life because because of the rain as well but just because it was so everyone was just so happy to be there cast included yeah yeah, yeah. we were all 
it, it really electrified the performance for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you were wearing some great trousers, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They don't fit anymore. Uh, oh, <laughs> tell me about lockdown. it. I've thrown out half my wardrobe because I just can't get in. I've, I've sadly outgrown Slim Fit. So let's just leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> Slim Fit stretch. There we go. There's a, there's yeah. a good, oh, good that, they've, I'm sadly beyond help with even that. I'm now, <laughs> I'm now in stretch straight cut, which is depressing, um, especially with my underdeveloped calves. It just doesn't work. Um, anyway. Enough of that. Um, are you are you a big Sondheim fan? Was that a show? I mean, I, I think you'd done it before, hadn't you? You played the Count, am I right? Yes, played the Count in Chester. Um, I, I feel like I'm only really scratching the surface of the um, Sondheim catalogue. Like I, I every every time I'm exposed to a new production of his, um, I, I, I my, my mind just boggles at the sheer like masterful artistry at play. Um, I've got Merrily We Roll Along on a shelf over here that I've been meaning to like dig into, but, uh, you know, uh, a production or a show or some voiceover comes through the door and I'm like, okay, well, I'll, I'll get to you in a second. But I just, I really, I really love all of his work. Yeah. Are you like a big fan of like, I say big fan. I mean, I personally, especially with Sondheim, I just find that every time I listen to something, I pick up something new, whether it's like a little motif or a lyric, like, is there a favorite lyric of his that that comes to mind for you? Ooh, that is a tough one. Um, I might have to come back to you on that one. That's fine. I, That's I, fine. Like, Some people have them and like permanently, like mine's permanently lodged in my brain. But yeah, uh, I know it's not the same for everyone. Um, There's um, the, the, oh, you know what? Um, we spoke about this quite a lot when we did night music in Chester at the Story House, and there's um. There's a line um, that is sung by the ensemble. It's like the hands on the clock turn, but don't sing a nocturne just yet. And that again, it just his, his the the, uh, the the musical artistry, the the lyrical artistry. I mean that the the, the book is written by someone else, I think. Um, but I just uh, yeah, I ugh. there's so much, there's so much um, for me to geek out over. Yeah, it's just so rich, isn't it? But yeah. the way he can write to a rhythm is just, ugh. yeah, yeah, and uh, it's so it's so specific yet so playful. Um, do you have a, a, a lyric that jumps out at you? Yeah, I do, and it's so basic. I'm sorry. What is it? Um, it's from Into the Woods. It's from On the Steps of the Palace, and it basically mm-hmm. just speaks to the introverted Cinderella inside me when she says, um, "Where you're safe out of sight and yourself, but where everything's wrong, or where everything's right and you know that you'll never belong." I just oh oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. right in the solar plexus. <laughs> Right in the solar plexus. <laughs> oh gosh! Um, I have to ask you about ki- king, uh, ki- uh, kidney boots. Not we're, we're not on body parts anymore. <laughs> not kidney boots. No, no, kinky boots. Because um, mm-hmm. that that was that was the first show I saw you in as a principal, having seen you in the Book of Mormon prior to that in your four year tenure. We'll get to that. Um, kinky boots really like thrust you front and center, didn't it? In terms of like building your profile and like cementing you in the musical theatre community in this country. I felt I feel like suddenly a lot of people knew your name kinky boots i mean i so that's wonderful i'm actually if if that is how i'm now perceived that's great um but i had no idea um i I think with kinky boots i was so um I was so intensely um immersed in the work of it all um i 
I loved that show when I went to go and see it. So I saw the opening night when Matt, with Matt Henry on the West End. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and that, and that entire cast, they were so incredible. But I remember walking away from that show with um, the feeling like, oh, my God, I don't think I could ever. I'd love to, but I don't think I could ever play this part. Um, just looking at all of it, the the wigs, the, the corsets, the dresses, the heels. I'd never walked in heels before I started um, that show. And just all of that work, I, I, you know, I looked at it and I went, this, that, this, and I'm, I'm not somebody who shoots myself down, but I thought this might be beyond me. This might be beyond my capabilities. And then I got the job and I was like, okay, here we go. Um, I remember the first time I wore lip gloss with a Beyonce wig and I swished my head and I was like, okay, can't do that. Can't do that at all. <laughs> um, because I hadn't, I'd never thought about the way that they would interplay just but there were so many learning curves um, throughout the journey of that show. Um, so much um, from a so much from a technical um, standpoint, but also so much from a, um, a personal standpoint. You know, the 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 people who that show touches and speaks to and makes feel seen. Um, I you know, it blew my mind every single day when people would come to stage door and thank the the entire company for a show like that, especially touring regionally. Um, it really, well, like this, the show says, you know, you change the world when you change your mind and people were coming. I remember actually quite fondly, there was a couple that came to see the show, um, a man and a woman. And the woman was very, very excited to be there. And the boyfriend was like, mm, you know, and headed his hand. I came out, sang Land of Lola. And by the end of Land of Lola, he was like, like really, really into it. And so like almost more excited than she was. Cause I don't know what the expectation was, but you know, the, the, the sort of typical narrative of boyfriends being dragged to musicals by their girlfriends, yeah. um, you know, in, yeah, it, yeah, I it, it just, it really opened up. Um, I think people's perceptions of the community that's reflected in the show. Yeah um it's it's that it's those i don't like musicals men isn't it when you're like yeah oh, come on not another one um, yeah, exactly that you um am i right in saying you you joined that tour when it was already up and running because callum francis went to australia is that right so callum was the um the lola in australia so he came over to the uk he actually left our production to go and be on broadway um oh, yeah, to play right. lola on broadway um, but I was there from the beginning as a standby for three months, oh, knowing right, okay. that I was going to take over um, as Lola uh, when we got to Edinburgh. Right. OK. So you, having that time in the wings, kind of watching and waiting, did that make it easier when the time eventually came or did that just actually feed the anxiety? Um, I don't think there is anything that could make that role in that show easier for the first time (laughs) um i think watching him in the wings because we're very different performers callum and i um he has uh, quite an he has an he's an incredible dancer um and i am i'm not a technically trained dancer in any way shape or form so our approaches to lola were quite um were quite different like our lolas could meet in a room and be individual you know um of themselves um so watching him i was 
I was really proud of this, you know, I mean, me and Callum met years ago. We auditioned for Miss Saigon together. Um, I think he got it. I did not. Um, and we, um, we spent, we spent a lot of time sort of, you know, texting each other here and there, etc. So I knew him from before, but I just was, I was just really proud watching him work. I was, you know, really excited for him, but also knew that when I took over, the way that I approached the character was going to be completely different to him because his life experience is not my life experience and vice versa. Um, so standing in the wings watching him, I just I just got to see a show like and an, an incredible show every evening for three months. <laughs> you mentioned the heels. I mean, wearing all those costumes must have been like a an, an, an eight times a week workout. Um did you did you ever worry about the risk of injury? Because I'm like, if you're going to the gym at the same time and you're trying to like train, or like, were you ever affected by gym aching or or, or any kind of injury? Because that would, if if that was me, I would be so paranoid of like tearing a hamstring during doing a kick or something like that. <laughs> um. So we toured with an incredible physio, um, Charlotte Williamson, and she. Well, she looked after us um, really, really well. But to talk, of, to tell a story about the heels, for the first time I wore, so the first time I learned the choreography with Darren Carnell, I said to him, I want to wear the heels that are like the most intense <laughs> um, and learn all the choreography in the most intense heels because I've never worn heels before because I've never danced in heels before. I was like, I want to, to to really know what that feels like and then I can work backwards from there in terms of pain threshold. And know it'll um, never be as bad again. Exactly. So I put on um, the, you know, the sexes in the heel boots. I don't know what they look like, but I know. So they're, um, they're these blue stiletto heels, um, with the biggest in the show. They're the ones with the biggest incline. Um, that that (laughs) makes me feel a little, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I learned, um, you know, land of Lola, sex is in the heel, um, raise you up, all of the choreography in those heels. And by the end of the day, when I went to put my foot, like I took my foot out of the boot and put it on solid ground and I had to push my heel to the floor, like hand on my knee, push down to the floor in order for it to go back to being straight again. Um, the next day was not fun. <laughs> I didn't do that again. Um, but every single time I put on the other um, shoes, I was like, oh, my God, actually, this is it. You know, it, it, again, at no point is it easy, but um Having done that, I knew it would never be that bad. And because we had a physio on tour as well with us, she would tell us what we needed to do in order to prevent injury, um, which was so, so handy, especially, you know, there's a part in... um, in Sex is in the Heel, where we do a dance move and then we ball change. But the ball change is meant to travel, I think, from like 12 stage right to like maybe two, just no, two stage left. No, not 12. So that's a long travel. <laughs> it's probably about like eight to about maybe center. And I was like, in these heels, you expect me to do that? And, you know, I failed loads during rehearsals. But once, you know, after a while, I was like, OK, cool. I see how this works now. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a gargant. She's a beast. Lola is a beast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, lots of stretching, I imagine. <laughs> lots of stretching, lots of rolling out um, and regular appointments with the physio. Oh, gosh. Um, it, do, it does sound it does sound so painful. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the reward is, you know, when you when you see somebody at stage door and they've come out of their house for the first time wearing a dress because they felt like this was the place that they could come and feel safe, you know, 
I, I went through all of that pain, but I can't, it was nothing by comparison to the prejudice that some of the people who came to see our show experienced on a daily basis. So if that was my way of, you know, if that was the sacrifice that I had to give in order for them to feel safe and feel seen, I was more than willing to. Which, was there a particular moment in the show that meant the most to you? Was there, was there a moment that felt the heaviest on your shoulders? Um, I'm not my father's son. I'm not my father's son for me was, um, it was so, again, it's a really cathartic moment in the show because like I have a wonderful relationship with my dad. Um, but the, the, obviously Lola's experience is very different. So channeling your own personal experiences that are proximal to that, um, in order to portray something like that, you know, it was, such a cathartic moment for me and for Joel, uh, Joel Harper Jackson, who played Charlie opposite me. Um, so like every single night it would, you know, I would have either goosebumps or like tears in my eyes. Um, just thinking about, you know, those people who you, you, you won't get the opportunity to, um, change their minds or are so set in their ways that they don't, you know, it, it, there was, there was so much to, enjoy seems like the wrong word here, but it was like in a, in a really characterful, in a super wanky actor way. <laughs> um, there was so much to enjoy in those moments. I know, I know what you mean. Don't worry. Um, before we talk about Book of Mormon, you, you touched on this earlier about going to university before deciding that you wanted to go to drama school, which you didn't end up mm. doing. Was there something in your mind when you were 18 that made you go, no, no, university is the right thing for me? rather than drama school what what was it that held you back i was really really shy as a um uh i think as a teenager and as a young adult um i didn't you know when i when, when i was at college and i was looking at drama schools versus university i uh, you know what actually to look back at myself i would say that i got in my own way um because i allowed that shyness to overcome what i enjoyed and so I decided to go, you know, I applied to university, university, um, Brunel University didn't require me to audition. And the course was predominantly to do with um, contemporary um, theatre practitioners and devising theatre, which I mean, and I learned a lot. I, I loved so much of my course, but it wasn't until I went to the art centre at Brunel um, and saw one of the musicals and got that feeling in my stomach, like, oh my God, I really want to be up there. Found out about auditions for that. I went and auditioned for the shows that they were putting on there. And I was like, okay, this feels, this feels like I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I started to favor, <laughs> God, don't tell my tutors. Um, I started to favor, um, going to those sessions and those rehearsals more so than I favored my own course. And the more and more I did it, the more and more confident I became. And then, you know, but, you know, growing up in, uh, growing up in London, um, and tuition fees basically being what they are, I'll be very frank. Um, I, I didn't want to put that sort of strain on my parents if I didn't know that it was exactly what I wanted to do and whether or not I had a shot at it anyway. Um, so when I went to start auditioning for things while I sent off my applications, um, I, I learned so much. I made so many mistakes. Um, but I learned so much and eventually, you know, found my way into a show. The, the follow up question to that, I guess, is, you you said you you eventually landed a show. Was mm. do you remember there being a specific moment where you you actually had the fork in the road where it was like, oh, uh, 
drama school or just go with this and hope it works out? Was there was there a specific moment when that happened? Yeah, I um, I I remember getting my um my my application to Mountain View. I think was successful. Um, uh, as in like I was invited to come in and audition. Um, and I had the audition for that in one hand. Um, I had a you know a recall for this show in um. Uh, I can't remember where it was exactly, but I had to get on a train and I was like, I can either spend the amount of money to go and do this audition um, or sack off that audition and go and do this audition for this drama school. And I think it was at that moment that I was like, okay, we're going to try and we're going to try and do this because if I can land this job and I think it was that it was that job. I was like, if I land this job, then I will continue to pursue a career if I don't land this job because I've not landed a few um, other auditions as well um I will go to drama school and I will take that avenue seriously I wish honestly looking back I wish I had gone to drama school because I think um there's a lot of there's a lot of um, information obviously that I, I don't have probably to this day having not done a course at an accredited uh, institution um but I also wouldn't trade any of my experiences um, that I've had at all. I, it's been such an an interesting and wonderful journey. Whenever there's been a gap in my knowledge, you know, I've take you know taken the time out to research it myself. And essentially, my ten years in the industry have been my drama school training, which is, you know, it, it's been really wonderful. Have you ever struggled with with the imposter syn- with imposter syndrome because you didn't go to drama school? Like every single time, yeah. <laughs> you know, not in, not in a horrible way at all. Um, because, because I didn't go there, there is always, like I said, there's always going to be something that somebody else knows, um, over, over me. But I think also people in our industry are so warm and so helpful and so lovely that, you know, you work with people, you learn things from people. And I think actually, even if you come out of drama school, you know, there are things that you won't have learned at drama school that you can only learn by doing the job, by having the experience of working in our industry. Um, and I think, it, you know, it wasn't until, oh God, when was it? Maybe, maybe in my, maybe in my last year of Mormon, actually, that I started to go, actually, you know, you, you can, you, you're, you're doing this. Like you're not, you're not trying to do this. You're not pretending you're doing this. You're doing this. Um, so, so my answer is yes. And I will still probably continue to have it because again, having not gone, um, it hangs over you a little bit, but I, I love what I do so much that that sort of trumps that feeling. Yeah. And at least you don't have the debt either, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've got the debt for Brunel, so. (laughs) I'll be paying off my student loan until I'm probably like 60. So, you know, we're we're all in the same boat on that one. Um, But and and actually, you know, a lot of the other actors I've spoken to who did go to drama schools and like some of the big ones say have said to me that they struggle with imposter syndrome. So it's almost like there's always going to be something that you could have done that is going to be in the back of your mind going, oh, but you didn't do this. Because, I mean, lots of people seem to still struggle with it because there just always seems to be like another door you could have gone through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're def- yeah, I definitely feel like, you know, every now and again, oh, man, if only I'd done like a tap, like a real intensive tap course. Because I, I, like, I, I love dancing, but I don't have any... Um, technical training in dancing but if I could have done a tap class I think I would have you know a tap course rather sorry I think I would have really (laughs) but anyway that's a a conversation for another time 
And I, I just want to say, I think the flip side of all of this is look how amazing you've done for someone who didn't go to drama school. Like, look at what you've built, <laughs> like having that wall to overcome, not to be sound wanky or anything, but you know. No, 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 no. It's, um, it's, it's lovely to hear. So thank you. Um, it's, I think um, my sister actually says this all the time. She like, you know, grabs a uh, flip flop and like hits me over the shoulder with it. And she's like, I can't believe you're, you know, you are where you are given, you know, that you haven't had to go to drama school, etc. She's like one of my biggest champions. Um, it is interesting to think about it from that perspective, which obviously I seldom do. So, yeah, no, thank you. Um, sisters are the best. Um, <laughs> I, I do want to ask you about Book of Mormon because and actually just on the thread of not going to drama school to then be cast mm. in the original London production of the Book of Mormon. That must've been a moment, right? That must've been a, Oh, I can do this kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. So, um, for God, that was such a whirlwind time because so after, so I did fame, which toured Italy and then I came back and uh, did Avenue Q, the tour, um, for two years running. And then I think, yeah, I was auditioning for Hairspray on tour mm-hmm. and, um, and Book of Mormon in town. Um, and I landed Book of Mormon and I was like, Oh my God. Um, I come from a very, very, um, like my mom is Catholic. Um, and my dad, um, basically quite a religious household. Um, and I remember saying to my mom, Mom, I'm going to need to sit you down and talk to you about this one because I don't think you're going to want to come and see it. Oh. <laughs> um, no, 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 not, not, not at all. I just, you know, it's just the sensibilities of, of, um, some people. Um, she did eventually come and see it, which was wonderful. And she was again, super, super, super supportive. Um, but the Book of Mormon obviously has some questionable, um, um, language used. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So, but to come to 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 come from doing tours, then to end up being in the original company of the Book of Mormon in town, for me was mind boggling. I couldn't quite believe again that I had gotten through that door, and all of a sudden I had my first West End credit. And then I, you know, the, the second year of the show, I performed at the Olivier's. Like everything was just sort of just felt like it was snowballing. I was like hold on, where am I? What's happening? This is amazing, but also kind of low-key unbelievable. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I love that show. Do you remember the the first day you were in the rehearsal room and you walked in and you're in this room with Casey Nicola and the American creatives and Gavin Creel? Like, that, that must have blown your mind a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so many people who I, you know, whose work I'd listened to before, whose work I'd seen before, and I was in the same room as them. Um, and then, you know, subsequently became friends with a lot of them. Um, it just, yeah, it was just unbelievable. I've used that word so many times, but it really was unbelievable, you know. And then doing the work as well, being able to absolutely dine out on all of this, um, like all of the movement, all of the close harmonies, all of the humor my god the 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 multi-layered humor and and also so you know growing up um i was a big fan of of south park so then getting to see and work with matt stone and trey parker as well um huge i was like was genuinely like am i like half of me again the professional actor being like yes we're all here we're all working very hard um but then you know 17 year old kai you know looking around and being like he wrote that episode of that show that you really, really loved watching. Cool. 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 
I remember the the first preview because they did this thing where they gave away like every ticket I think was free, I think. Um, anyway, I was there and I hadn't paid for it. So um, <laughs> um, and I just remember the roar when it started, um, mm. because I think there was some sort of like, oh, how is it going to play over here? Was that was that in your minds going into it or did you kind of go, they're not ready? They don't know what's going to happen. In my mind, I, you know, it's obviously like when it, when a show transfers and especially a, um, an American musical comedy transfers to the UK, um, our sensibilities sometimes don't match up um, in terms of like what, what makes us laugh, the timings, et cetera. But the, again, the wonderful thing about the South Park guys is their, their, their brand of comedy is so steeped in like British sarcastic sensibilities um, that it just... I mean, I think I always trusted that it was going to be funny. And yeah, I, I found, I remember when I first watched the show, um, which was quite a, quite a while into our first contract, I think, um, we were all given show watches so that we could see what we were a part of. And I just remember like grinning and beaming from ear to ear, laughing so much that my belly hurt. And I was like, I've, I've been around all of this material for the past maybe eight months or whatever it was at that time. And I'm still finding things on stage and now off stage that I, that still make me laugh. You know, it, it, it is, uh, yeah, basically to answer your question, I always trusted it. And you worked your way up in that four years. Was it four years you were in the show and, and you got four to years, yeah. cover lots of different parts and play lots of different roles. Was it just consistently rewarding that whole time? Yes. Yeah. I think, you know, um, in a cast change, you work with a, a new group of people who have a completely different um, energy, different comic timing, different ways of singing things, etc. So it was really rewarding to see and to hear and be around all of that creativity. Um, then working, being playing different characters as well. So the first two years, um, I was my original track, and then the second, no, sorry, the third year, God, maths, <laughs> counting actually, just counting. Um, the third year, I, um, I, I became, was it Medala? Yeah, I think it was Medala that I became, and then um, after that became, um, God, Tosh Moore's original track, which was. Mutumbo, there we go. Mm -hmm. um, and I finally finished, and, and also understudied The General and Mafala. Um, my favorite shows were the Mafala shows. The General shows were, were, were my general shows were great. My, all of the, the characters were amazing, but the Mafala has such heart and makes such, you know, difficult decisions in order to protect his people, protect Is that his Nabalungi's village. That's Nabalungi's dad. Nabalungi's dad, yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I should have led with that. Uh, yeah, it was. I, I, yeah, working working up through the years and working closer and closer with different people, um, meeting people and learning, you know, sort yeah, again, in terms of like my my industry drama school training, if you will, um, learning from people by working with people, you know, re resonating with their creativity and bringing my own to the table. It was really, really, really a lot of fun. There's been there's been quite a lot of chatter while the shows have all been closed uh, since last March. Um, particularly in America, about the Book of Mormon and and about its representation of Ugandan people, and I believe that they've had lots of meetings with cast members from productions all over the world, past and present, uh, about making some changes to just sort of tighten it up where it might have slipped, uh, and the comedy might not necessarily be as kind or as fair. What's your perception of that? Um, having been in the show for four years, and as it originally was was frozen. 
how do you feel about any potential changes? Um, so I wasn't aware of those talks actually at all. Um, I, because the Book of Mormon has always been a, a a sort of point of contention for quite a lot of people considering the representation of um, Ugandans and Uganda itself. Um, I think if, you know, where, where changes could, if changes can be made, where changes could be made to be more sensitive, that is a, a great step to take, especially in a show that's been running for so long. A, a lot of the time you expect people to hunker down and say, you know, this is, this is the way that the show is and, you know, like it or lump it. So it's, it's wonderful that that change is being made. I'd love to have been part of those discussions, but obviously I'm not with the show anymore. So it's a, yeah, it's a shame. Sure. Just to, to bring us full circle back to The Lion King, when when you finally get to go out there on that stage and have your half, I'm a professional actor head and half 17-year-old Kai head, um, <laughs> what what's the bit that you're really looking forward to knuckling down and getting into? As a, as a, as a, prof- as a professional actor, I'm really looking forward to um, exploring the journey of Simba, exploring, you know, the, the the way he is as a cub and that that innocence that naivete that trust that he puts in so many people hoping you know to never be not even hoping to never be hurt just not knowing that they could hurt him you know that it's that blind innocence and sort of aggressive optimism into you know his adult life when i would then play him um and seeing you know the relationships between him and nala him and mufasa him and rafiki you know there's all of this all of these interesting, um, as, as an actor, there's all of these interesting things to play with. Um, and all of this movement as well, like the Balinese and Javanese movement, I'm really looking forward to getting stuck in. I imagine my quads are going to ache for many years to come and I will need all the physio. Um, but I'm really looking forward to getting stuck in as a, you know, as 17 year old Kai, let's say, um, I'm really looking forward to just hearing, circle of life star and knowing that i am part of that show it's yeah that 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 to me still hasn't really sunk in you know that when when the lion king reopens i will be playing simba that even as a sentence you know goosebumps yeah (laughs) yeah exactly exactly oh gosh well good luck with it i can't wait to come and see you and just see everything again but specific you know to to come and see you in that part knowing how much it means to you as well will be really special yeah i really look forward to you coming and i really look forward to 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 being able to you know do such an iconic role justice Maybe we'll even be able to shake hands. Who knows? What a world. <laughs> Full hug with all the makeup done. Oh my God. <laughs> Just don't bash me on the head with your head thing. I promise I won't. <laughs> well, that was such a lovely episode to kick off this new series. I really, really enjoyed speaking to Kai. And you can go and see him in The Lion King at the Lyceum Theatre in the West End from the 29th of July, which is really soon. I can't quite believe that all the shows are actually finally opening up. It feels like we've waited for this for such a long time um, and it's finally happening. If you want to follow Kai on social media, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Kai Ushe and that's at K-A-Y-I-U-S-H-E. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for downloading this episode of the Backstage With podcast. I'll be back with another episode and another guest next Tuesday. In the meantime, please head to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a rating and a review and come and say hi on Instagram at Backstage With. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right in the solar service, uh, solar plexus, solar cervix, solar plexus. <laughs> <laughs> Different that, entirely. <laughs> that's a, that's an in joke between me and my boyfriend that I always call it the wrong thing, and then but the problem is when you mean to say it seriously, you say the wrong one. I'll cut that out. <laughs> 